Good evening. The reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, reading from verse 1. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, it felt we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Thank you very much. Um, please do keep uh, 2 Corinthians open, page 964 in the Church Bibles. Um, and let me add my welcome. My name's Roger. Um, I'm one of the ministers here, and it's very good to see you this Sunday evening. As Robin said, we are starting a new series tonight, the, the letter from the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' spokesmen, um, to the church in Corinth and the surrounding area. And the topic, as Robin mentioned, is authentic Christian ministry. What is the real deal when it comes to Christian ministry? Now, before 90% of the room switch off and think, all right, so this is for the MAPs, the apprentices who are training with us, or the leaders in training, those who are training for full-time gospel ministry, before we switch off, notice who Paul is writing to, verse 1. To the MAPs of Corinth. No, hang on. To the church of God that's at Corinth, with all the saints, that is, all Christians who are in this entire region of Achaia. 2 Corinthians has a lot to say about authentic Christian ministry, and it has a lot to say to Christians, all Christians, all of us, about authentic Christian ministry. We all need to know what it looks like, what it feels like. This is one of the most honest books uh, in the New Testament about what it actually feels like for Paul to go about his daily life. Why do we all need to know that? Well, we need to know what ministry to listen to, what ministry to partner with, and what ministry to engage in ourselves. There's an every member ministry in this letter. So it couldn't be more relevant 
And I'm going to pray now for God's help as we turn to his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have been thinking in recent weeks of how you gather us fundamentally to listen to you together. And so we pray tonight you would help me to clearly and faithfully pass on what your word says and help all of us to be attentive to your voice and for it to strengthen us together as a church family under Jesus. For his glory we pray. Amen. Well, as we are um, kind of taking our first step into 2 Corinthians, I will spend a couple of minutes just trying to get our bearings. I want you to imagine that we're, uh, we're 2000, nearly 2,000 years ago, back in the Greco-Roman city of Corinth, and at the gathering of the church. It's probably happening in a large house. One of the wealthier members um, is, is lending their atrium area for us to gather together and hear some teaching. It might well be open air, the atrium, a different climate to here. It wouldn't work here. Uh, And at the back of the atrium, maybe there's a rack with some prayer letters on, some newsletters. Two of them, actually, you can see sitting side by side as you cast your eyes over. The first of the two letters is beautifully produced. It's uh, got the finest materials. There's clearly some financial backing to that particular ministry. There's a kind of glossy finish to the papyrus, and it's well formatted. The Greek is exceptional. It's kind of polished. It's funny when you read it, witty, classy, cultured. Clearly, someone has been working hard on that prayer letter. In fact, it sounds so sharp and smooth that it wouldn't have been out of place in the local forum where the best speakers of the region came and battled it out for popularity and prize money for their quality speeches. The front page of that letter, it's full of kind of can-do positivity and have-done success stories. There's a smiling, sharply-dressed Christian leader in kind of pencil portrait. He, he introduces himself by name-dropping uh, how he's just been involved in a massive public event in the city. He sat next to the first minister of Corinth. He's soon to be on tour internationally. He's going to take his latest insights into the Christian life of power. Uh, He's taking it global. He's soon to pop into Corinth, actually, hoping to visit the church to preach and maybe sign some copies of his books. The back page of that letter is full of commendations. Other famous personalities uh, from all around the area are commending this ministry to you. Uh, as well as the website and the coming television spin-off. may not be entirely accurate historically. That's letter one. It's a really smart letter. It's actually quite exciting when you read it. You think, oh, I'd like to be part of that. Then next to it, there's a second letter, and that one is tatty. It's torn. It's, it's crumpled. It looks like the paper might at some point have been smuggled into or out of prison. It's much shorter It's straightforward in its language. It simply says this, pray for me. Pray for me to keep going with telling people about Jesus because I'm being opposed on every front. I'm struggling with ill health. I've recently been beaten up by a mob. I've been imprisoned by the authorities. I've had to cancel preaching opportunities. I've had to revisit church plants I was involved in because some of them were wandering. That's really discouraged and worried me. I've had to change travel plans more than once now. And recently, I really thought 
I was going to die. Please pray for me that I can keep going. Thank you, Paul. On the back of that letter, there aren't any commendations from famous names. But there is a post-it note. Someone's put one on from the church. And it says simply this, Are we sure we want this kind of newsletter in our rack? I mean, it's pretty discouraging. It's not a great advert for Jesus and Christian things. Okay, so some of that scenario is imaginary. I don't actually know if they had racks. Probably not, no plastic. But we do know that the church in Corinth got letters from missionaries, from from traveling Christian workers. We know that because one of them is 2 Corinthians, now bound into our Bible. A letter from the Apostle Paul and Timothy, notice verse 1, and Timothy, our brother, a letter from them to the church in Corinth and the Christians in the region. And we know that there are other Christian workers also coming with letters, including recommendations from others. Just look across to chapter 3, verse 1. 3, verse 1, where Paul says, page 965, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you. There are these others who come with commendation. Later in the letter, Paul's going to call them, tongue-in-cheek, the super apostles. There are some new teachers on the block. They seem to have discovered a, a version of Christianity which sounds great. It's all power and clever speech, success right now, with none of the awkward kind of suffering and offense that Paul has been causing and keeps running into. Just to see that, turn to chapter 11. We won't do loads of turning, but I think this one's helpful. This is page 969, chapter 11. Which will give us a bit of how Paul feels about this church and how he feels about these super apostles. Chapter 11, verse 2. Where Paul says, 11-2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, Since I betrothed you to one husband, he's talking about planting the church in in Corinth, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we've made this plain to you in all things. The situation in Corinth is that the Corinthians, or at least some of the church in Corinth, are in danger of being swayed by the super apostles, away from Paul's weak-looking ministry towards their impressive-looking ministry. And the key way Paul's going to protect them from that and protect us from the modern equivalent is to define what real, authentic Christian ministry actually looks like, feels like, and involves. What is the real thing on the ground? What is authentic Christian ministry? We need to know that so we know what to listen to, what to partner with, and what to engage in. 
And we need it because on the ground, it's actually a bit harder to tell than it may sound. No one turns up with a T-shirt saying, I'm a super apostle. No one puts that on their website. If you did, we'd smell a rat immediately. In fact, super apostle is Paul's term for them. That's him blowing their cover. They actually used all the right words. That's the striking thing about the verse I just read. Um, Chapter 11, verse 4. They spoke about Jesus. They proclaimed Jesus. They spoke about the Spirit. They spoke about the Gospel. If you were looking for the kind of key buzzwords, they were all there. They just had a very different understanding of what Jesus and the Gospel and the Spirit actually was. It's a good tip, actually. If you're an undergrad and you've just um, arrived in... Edinburgh, and you're looking for a church, don't just check whether they talk about Jesus. Check what they say about Jesus and where they get it from. Is it the Jesus of the Bible, the spirit of the Bible, the gospel from the Bible? As we go on in the series, we're going to see that authentic ministry is not about the outward appearance and what looks good. It's about the heart. It's about God changing people from the inside outwards by the amazing message of Jesus. Authentic ministry is about the heart, not appearances. And that means authentic ministry often looks rubbish, weak, painful, unimpressive. All of which brings us back to chapter one. So please turn back. That's that's all the orientation we're going to get today. We'll we'll get more as we go through 2 Corinthians. But let's turn back to chapter um, chapter one, verses one to eleven. And actually, I don't know if you noticed when we read this passage, but if you just scan your eyes over verses 3 to 11, it doesn't take a kind of PhD to work out the topic that Paul is uh, kind of starting with. Paul is talking about how God comforts us in suffering. Let me just run through and just show how many times he says it. So um, verse 3, blessed be God, the God of all comfort, then verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Verse 5, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings and abundantly in comfort. Verse 6, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. End of verse 6, you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Verse 7, as you share in our sufferings, you'll share in our comfort. Okay, Paul, we get the point. You're talking about God's comfort and sufferings, afflictions, difficulty. But just before we dive into the details and kind of work through what he's saying about God's comfort in suffering, I do just want to point out a really striking thing. This is a striking place for Paul to begin a letter where he's, he's on the defense a bit against these super apostles. We'll see through, the, through 2 Corinthians. These super apostles have a lot of critiques against Paul, but one of their biggest attack lines is that he doesn't look like a success. He doesn't look like God's on his side. Quite the opposite. He looks like a loser. He is opposed. He's attacked. He's ill. He's struggling. He's weak. He's unimpressive. He keeps having to change his plans because it's all falling apart. Remember that post-it note on the newsletter. Are we sure we want this guy's letter on our display rack? It just sounds grim. Don't we want a more positive, more appealing, more kind of powerful kind of ministry? Well, all those criticisms are in the air 
And Paul begins with the topic of his suffering and God's comfort in it. Or to put it another way, Paul isn't embarrassed that he suffers as a Christian and a gospel worker. He's not going to put that in the small print at the end of the letter. You know how banks do? The kind of your investment may go down as well as up. <laughs> kind of said right at the end of the advert or right in the small print where you can't really see it on the poster. Quite the opposite. Just look at verse 8. Verse 8. We do not, of chapter 1, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. Far from hiding his suffering, he's putting it right up front. Wants them to know how bad it felt. We don't know the exact nature of the affliction for Paul and Timothy. Was it some ill health? Was it something else? Was it persecution? Quite likely. But we don't know for sure. But we do know how bad it felt. This time... Despite all the battles Paul had been through, this time he thought, that's it, we're going to die. Verse 8, we don't want you to be unaware, so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. Why is Paul not hiding his suffering? When that's the very attack line of his opponents, you can't trust this guy, you shouldn't back this guy, you shouldn't join in with the way this guy operates because he's clearly not best by God, he's clearly not working in God's power, he's clearly a loser in God's economy. Paul says, well, they're right about one thing. I have really suffered as a Christian. Our most recent experience took us to our lowest ever point. We were beyond ourselves and our strength to cope. We thought it was all over. They got that bit right. But here's what they got wrong. And this is the one thing I want us to take away this evening from 2 Corinthians. If you zone out, please just remember this and then zone out. It's a truth. It's such a precious truth. I think it's, it's deeply freeing. For Jesse and I, over the years, this has been a very precious passage because of this truth. It's there in the box at the Um, on the outline if you've got one in front of you. Here's the truth. Suffering doesn't disqualify people for authentic Christian ministry. It can actually help to equip them. Suffering doesn't disqualify people for authentic Christian ministry. It can actually help to equip them. The super apostles may be saying that Paul suffers way too much to be taken seriously as a gospel worker. Paul says the opposite. These afflictions enable me to do ministry. Why is it so important we get this into our hearts and minds, that suffering doesn't disqualify people for authentic Christian ministry, but actually helps equip them? Well, as I said right at the start, we need to know about authentic Christian ministry because of who we'll listen to, who we'll partner with, and what we'll engage in, in terms of ministry. So listening-wise, are we willing to go to the kind of church or to listen to the kind of leaders who aren't impressive, who are opposed publicly sometimes for the gospel, who have been through the mill in life, for whom it can be a huge struggle just to keep putting one foot in front of the other in Christian life and ministry? Or are we tempted to gravitate away from that to the 
great life, great smile, great rhetoric, great teeth, glamour of the famous celebrity preacher? Do we want the kind of church planter who keeps reminding us that they started just in their living room and now they're multi-site with thousands around them? Or the faithful one who's been struggling, preaching Jesus, not always seeing success? Who will we listen to? Again, really practically, who will we partner with? So will we stick with gospel partners who are proclaiming Jesus when they have setbacks or difficulties or they're just going through the mill or they're not well? But it's not just about choosing the right churches and the right leaders and the right gospel partners to align ourselves. Now, this is a book that encourages all Christians that we're engaged in Christian ministry. The ministry of speaking about Jesus, sharing him with others. But this principle needs to be applied to our own lives, our own suffering, our own opportunities to speak to other believers and encourage them, our own witness to a watching world. So I just want to cut to the chase right up front and say, brothers and sisters, do we realize... Do we believe that suffering does not disqualify us from being useful in God's economy? It equips us. It can enable us. Suffering doesn't put us kind of on the bench in church life, not really able to serve. Quite the opposite. It can equip us to strengthen and serve others. That's what this passage is saying. I think that perspective will radically alter our view of suffering and service. When I speak of suffering, I know for some of us it's not, it's not a past thing or a future thing, it's a present thing. I want, to know, I want you to know I'm not speaking lightly, and Paul is not speaking lightly here. Like He knows what it is to hit rock bottom. He's just told us he despaired of life itself. But he genuinely believes suffering doesn't disqualify people from serving with the good news of Jesus. It equips us for it. How can that be? Well, we've got three brief points to try and understand that big principle. Three brief points. The first one's this. Firstly, suffering enables us to know the God of comfort more deeply. This is verse 3. Suffering enables us to know the God of comfort more deeply. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Striking, despite all the pain Paul's been through on on so many fronts, this opening of the letter is actually praise of God. Why? Because he's learnt more of God in and through his sufferings. In trying to think, which sufferings does this apply to? Is it just persecution, kind of suffering for the gospel? I think it is broader than that. Listen to how broad the language is. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And, and verse for any affliction. I think it is a broader range of difficulties. At the end of the letter, we're going to hear Paul talk about some of the difficulties been, he's been through. A lot of them are because of gospel ministry, but some of them are life in a fallen world. Here's a range. Imprisonments, countless beatings, uh, five times receiving at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, 
uh, adrift at sea night and a day, frequent journeys, danger from rivers, danger, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all of that is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. And later, some kind of physical ailment, a thorn in his flesh, that he begged God to be removed. Paul has been through suffering an extraordinary amount. He's not saying this glibly, but his genuine experience is that the times when he's been going through the mill, he's come to know the God of comfort more deeply than ever before. I think you get the same point in verse 8. Just, just look there as he's talking about the, the darkest of days. Uh, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Then verse 9, indeed, we, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. When Paul was taken beyond his own ability to cope, beyond his own strength and his capacity, he discovered that the God of all comfort can be relied upon. He knew his comfort more deeply than ever before. All of that meant, rather than suffering disqualifying Paul from ministry, it had equipped him. As I've been preparing this message, and this passage, sorry, many of us in the church family have been on my mind. There's all sorts of different suffering going on at the moment. Some of us will be aware of some of it. Grief and bereavement, some recent, some long ago. Caring for aging or ill relatives, and it's really, really hard, wearying. Facing opposition at work or at home for being a Christian and how lonely that can feel. Struggling with contentment and loneliness, longing to be married. Others in marriages that are very difficult. Some longing for the gift of children and grieved by that. Some deeply burdened by mistakes in the past. Now feeling like we've just made too much of a mess of life to, for it to be redeemable. Others deeply wounded by the sins of someone else, sometimes feeling beyond hope. Some struggling with long-term illnesses, physical or mental. Some for whom just keeping going for another day is a huge battle. Paul's testimony, his real-life testimony, having suffered probably as deeply and repeatedly as a human can go outside of Jesus, is that the context of suffering enabled him to know God, the God of all comfort and mercy, more deeply. As verse 5 put it, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort also. I'm not sure it's automatic, because suffering can produce bitterness. We can kind of turn from God, away from God, bitterly in, in suffering. 
But it is possible if we turn to God that we find a depth of mercy, a depth of comfort that we never knew before. Many here would testify to that, to knowing that he will hold me fast in the dark valleys of life. That's our first point. Suffering enables us to know the God of comfort more deeply. But actually, Paul wants to get on to the second point, and this is the one he actually spends the most time on. Suffering equips us to share God's comfort more widely. Suffering equips us to share God's comfort more widely. Or we might say wisely. Let me read again from um, verse 4. So blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort by which we ourselves are comforted by God. Similarly in verse 6, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul is saying his sufferings are not just productive for his relationship with God, but actually, as he comes to know God better, it has equipped him for ministry with others. Again, I'm not sure that's automatic. I think it's so easy when we're suffering to, to, to disconnect from others. Partly because we may turn inward. Even when the pain has, has faded a bit, we can feel like we have little to say, little to give, can't really serve. It can be hard to re-engage, to turn outwards. Actually, often it's because the church family withdraw from those suffering because we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We're scared of putting our foot in it, and so we just step back. And actually, that's where people who really know what it's like to suffer, to go through pain and sorrow, are such a blessing to a church family and to others. They do know. They, they, they do know that just to be there with someone makes a massive difference. They know not to be glib. They know what to pray. They know and can testify that God can be trusted even in the darkest of times. They can weep with those who weep with real understanding. Some of you will know that um, for a number of years, my wife and I uh, thought um, we'd be permanently childless and were grieving that for a number of years. Um, Jesse was sharing that as a prayer point with a friend who she'd spoken to about it before. Um, and the friend said, oh, is that still difficult? It was about six months since the last time they chatted about it. That was a friend who was young and hadn't suffered. And then there was another friend um, who just said, I'm so sorry. And you could see the water in her eyes because she had suffered. She knew what it was like. Not the, not the same suffering, but she knew what it was like. It's one of the reasons it's such a blessing to be in a church family with a whole range of ages. On the whole, a church family that's young doesn't know how to suffer. Such a blessing to have people who've been through the mill and can encourage others. Sometimes wrongly, those of us who are in ill health or low energy or feel like 
just keeping going with life is, is almost gets us to our limit of how much we can give or serve. Sometimes we feel like, oh, it's such a frustration. I can't be useful. Quite the opposite, says Paul. You can comfort those with the comfort you've received. That's our second point. Suffering equips us to share God's comfort more widely and more wisely. Finally, though, and, and I think this, I hope, I hope that's an encouragement, that however weak we feel, actually the Lord can use us greatly to strengthen others. I hope that's an encouragement, but it may just be some of us feel like I'm not even strong enough to do that. It's all very well saying, well, you can turn outward and and serve others, but maybe we feel like I can't even keep going myself, let alone help someone else. I think this is where the third point should help us. Suffering extends opportunities to partner in prayer. That's not a great way to word it. Let me read verse 11. Paul puts it better. You also must help us by prayer. We need your help. We need each other's help in prayer. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the third way that suffering can multiply ministry as it provides opportunities for partnering in prayer, for praying for one another. You see, Paul, in this situation, was beyond his ability to cope. That's what he says. We were utterly burdened beyond our strength, verse 8, despaired of life itself. And so he's saying, I need your prayers. Pray for me to keep going. Pray for a miracle to happen. Again, this doesn't automatically happen when someone suffers. The person needs to be willing, honest enough to say that they're struggling open enough to ask some trusted Christian friends for prayer. And likewise, those friends or or the church family need to be willing to partner in prayer, to join them in their weakness and struggle, to give time and energy to pray. But the fruit is wonderful. Answered prayer with great thanksgiving. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. One of the reasons, um, one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for in this church family is, is how often we receive news updates from our gospel partners around the world. It's a wonderful blessing to be able to partner with them, to hear what's going on and, and pray as they struggle and suffer to get the good news of Jesus out to the nations. I hope they know and feel that they can be honest with us. They don't have to put on a good show hope they don't know they don't need to put a positive spin on how things are going closer to home i hope and pray that in our small groups this kind of honesty this kind of prayer partnership in struggles characterizes our life as a church it's so easy isn't it when asked how we're doing at church to lie and say i'm okay when i'm not really Or when we go around at the end of a small group Bible study and we share prayer requests, it's so easy to think, well, I couldn't 
possibly say how I'm really feeling or how I'm really doing. Couldn't take off the mask and be honest because, well, it would disrupt the group if I, if I kind of splurged it all out. I'd look like the one weirdo who hasn't got it all together. I'd drag everyone else down. I think we need to realize the kind of stiff upper lip stoicism, which is a real feature of British culture, kind of keep it private, soldier on yourself. That isn't a part of biblical culture and Christianity. The attitude that says, oh, I just shouldn't bother anyone else with this, the fact I'm struggling, it flies in the face of God's design for church, which is supposed to be a family where we bear each other's burdens. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So let's let 2 Corinthians encourage us to be honest in our prayers. If we're going through the mill, let's say it how it really is. Suffering doesn't disqualify people from authentic ministry. When someone does say it how it is, it's actually quite a relief to everyone else who's struggling. It equips us ministry our time is up we're going to see in 2 Corinthians that real authentic Christian ministry is not about outward appearance it's about what Jesus is doing in hearts by his spirit by his amazing gospel people being changed from the inside outwards sometimes that looks unspectacular as people just struggle on, one foot in front of the other, one week after another week. But actually, especially when people are going through suffering, it is extraordinary seeing God's mighty power at work, keeping them going. And that testimony from them to us as a church family is a, is a huge encouragement and blessing. And so let's pray that we really believe that suffering doesn't disqualify us from ministry, but actually equips us to serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for this letter. And thank you for this truth that you meet us in our darkest times. You comfort us in affliction and suffering. We thank you for many people in this church family who can testify to that. And we pray they would. We pray tonight particularly for those who are really struggling and feeling really alone and finding it hard to feel your comfort. Please, Lord, would you strengthen them, and would you use us to comfort them. In Jesus' name, amen.